You're listening to the COVID-19 Update, a podcast from the CSIS Global Health Policy Center focused on the science and policy implications of the outbreak. I'm Andrew Schwartz of the Center for Strategic and International Studies, and I'm joined by my colleague, Steve Morrison, to discuss the latest on COVID-19. On August 18th of 2021, Indiana Governor Eric J. Holcomb established by executive order the Governor's Public Health Review Commission to study Indiana's public health system. We're going to be talking about that today. The Governor's Public Health Commission is co-chaired by Dr. Judy Monroe, who served as Indiana's State Health Commissioner from 2005 to 2010, and she has served for many years now as the President and CEO of the CDC Foundation, and we've long known each other, and it's terrific to have you with us here today, Judy. We're also joined today by current State Health Commissioner, Dr. Christina Box, who was appointed as the Commission's Secretary. Christina, welcome, and thank you so much for being with us today. Before we begin, I just want to make one important side note. Congresswoman Susan Brooks, who formerly represented the 5th Congressional District in Indiana, serves as a non-voting citizen advisor to the Commission, and she also is a member of our CSIS Commission on Strengthening America's Health Security, which she co-chairs, and we're very, very indebted to Susan for that role. And also, she's the one that connected us up with Dr. Christina Box and Dr. Judy Monroe, so we could get, get going here today. So let's start with the basics. I'm going to turn to you, Christina. How and why did this commission get launched? This is kind of unusual. It was launched in the middle of the pandemic. I'm not sure that there are many other states that have taken this step. How central was the governor's leadership? And what are the big, big aims here that you're striving to reach? Thank you. Thank you. All amazing questions. You know, Indiana has 94 local health departments, most of which are uh, represented on a county level, but we have three municipal levels also. And they perform the public health services under law across the state of Indiana. Historically, that delivery of those services has been very uneven across the state of Indiana. And the pandemic has really shown a light on those inequities. Some of our local health departments very early on had to close their doors and they were not available to pass out personal protective equipment. They weren't available to do testing. Some have been engaged in immunization, some have not. And many others, even though they were very engaged in the pandemic, had to stop doing things like routine vaccinations and shift their focus away from those daily things like food safety and septic inspections to focus only on COVID. So really launching this commission right in the middle of the pandemic, I think, was exactly the right time because the spotlight has never been more focused on public health in our state or across the nation or the world as it has been in the past two years. The the governor's leadership has been absolutely critical and key with regards to this whole commission. Governor Holcomb, even before the pandemic, has been an incredible champion of public health here in our state by working to reduce Indiana's infant mortality and our maternal mortality rates and now decreasing lead exposure in children. He's taken those all on as a part of his personal agenda, and we have been very successful in those endeavors. He has been actively engaged every day of this pandemic and incredibly supportive throughout this entire time. His goals and and our goals for the commission are to make sure that we examine public health across the state of Indiana, its strengths and its weaknesses, and the response at both the state and the local public health level to the pandemic. And then he wants a report back to him that's due at the end of July so that he can use that as he develops his legislative agenda for 2023. Thank you. Over to Andrew. 
Thank you, Stephen. Welcome, Dr. Box and Dr. Monroe. So nice to have you with us here today. I still remember when I was a freshman in college at Tulane University, I got to go to the Final Four that year, and I watched Keith Smart of the University of Indiana hit the game-winning shot. I was there in person, so I have a big fondness for Indiana basketball and for the state of Indiana. It's nice to have you all with us today. Dr. Monroe, I want to ask you, most commissions begin with some early idea of what the top line priorities will be and what the key concrete target outcomes will be. You know, this is a relatively rapid commission with an express link to the legislative cycle. Can you please talk about what you expect to be its most important outcomes and how do you seek to turn its findings into legislative action? And then if you know yet, what what kind of public rollout are you guys planning to have? Yeah, so thanks for the question, and thanks for having me join uh, Dr. Box on this. Great to be with you. So first of all, I would say the the primary aim is to improve health. I mean, that's the bottom line, is to improve health, and as Dr. Box said, to even out across the the state, uh, the the public health services that are available to everyone. Um, It's really outlined pretty concretely in the executive order. It was Executive Order 2121 uh, from Governor Holcomb that really outlines the work for us. That's why we hit the ground running, uh, looking at areas such as the financing of of public health in the state, the workforce, both healthcare and public health workforce, data and information integration and the interoperability of of data is super important, childhood and adolescent health integration, uh, the governance structure, and then taking a hard look at how Indiana has responded during the pandemic and looking to the future for emergency preparedness. So those are really the areas that we're digging into. A lot of listening sessions across the state and engagement of the of the public and stakeholders throughout the entire state, uh, actually. And then uh, once the recommendations become available, because we're still we're still studying and, and diving deep into these topics. And then once the recommendations become available, there'll be a plan to socialize those and, and to make sure that uh, folks across the state know what those recommendations are and the why behind them. Uh, which really comes back to everyone's health. Steve, over to you. Thanks. Thanks so much. Let's come back to Dr. Christina Box and talk about what you, how you're going about doing the commission's work. You got off to a quick start, been a series of public sessions, some early applied research, um, outreach to the public and to external a- experts. Just tell us, like, how, how is the process unfolding up to now? And what has been the most important developments or discoveries thus far? So basically, in order to be able to address public health in the state of Indiana, we had to understand the what public health exists, how it exists here in the state, and what it looks like in the state. So we basically, at that point in time, relied very heavily on um, the Fairbanks School of Public Health report that came out in 2020, looking specifically at public health in the state of Indiana. Again, in the middle of a pandemic, but a perfect time for us to build on that. We assigned several individuals to kind of take the lead in each of the six key areas of focus that um, Dr. Monroe has mentioned. 
and to do a deeper dive and research into these issues to provide some underlying basic research for the commission uh, members to be able to read and understand, and then to reach out to experts and partners in these particular areas, not only here in the state of Indiana, but across the United States. Each time these individuals report to the commission for a period of anywhere from 30 to 45 minutes, maybe even up to an hour. And then the rest of the time, over an hour of that time, is just interactive questions and a very, very vigorous conversation about the particular topic. We have been very impressed with the level of engagement and questions that have come from our commission members. It's clear that they're doing their homework and their research beforehand um, as they come to the meetings. We started those meetings, as you mentioned, in September. We do those monthly, and they are all recorded. They are open to the public if the public wants to come. We make sure that those meetings are messaged beforehand by a press release that we put out and information, uh, and then a press release afterwards. So it's a media advisory beforehand and a press release afterwards. We have a website for public comment so that individuals can comment whether they want to comment beforehand or after the particular topics are discussed. And we bring all of those comments together in kind of buckets and present them to the commission each month, uh, and they're available for anyone to review those. We have planned listening tours around the state, and those are truly just listening tours uh, so that we can listen to local elected officials, businesses, superintendents of schools, our hospital association, healthcare providers, and just the general public around the state. We've had to delay those first three because of Omicron here in the month of January, but we'll be starting up this uh, next week, and they're usually every Friday through the end of March at different places around the state so that we can hear from individuals across the entire state. Our two local health officers that are representing one of our our largest counties here, Marion County in the state of Indiana, and also a couple of our smaller uh, rural counties actually have brought together all of our local health officers and gone through the Public Health Commission's goals, desires, and plans and taken great feedback from them. So we're very excited to hear a follow-up on that. And then, as I mentioned, we will and have been doing Senator Kenley and I, uh, regular updates with different associations and members across the state. So we have talked to businesses and commerce, um, business commerce. Uh, we have talked with hospital association, other healthcare providers. We have discussed this with our school systems, with our institutes of higher education, our public health schools, kind of letting them know what the commission is about and getting their feedback and input, and most importantly, their buy-in for that rollout, as you talked about in the legislative session in 2023. Christina, have there been any big surprises along the way? Are there things that are really being very strongly felt views that are coming through loud and clear? Are people raising things you hadn't anticipated? What What is it? A lot of them are, are what we expect. I think that there has been, for those individuals that are not involved in healthcare, it's been a big learning ta- session and time about what public health really is, that it is so much more than just mask mandates and, and potential vaccine mandates, that really it is about improving health across the state of Indiana and getting upstream so that we can prevent chronic disease and lead exposure and um, deaths and and illnesses from vaccine-preventable diseases. So that has been eye-opening the extent to which public health is not really understood or poorly understood. I think also the need for potential regionalization of some of the higher level functions like data analysis and and informatics um, at a regional level, potentially things 
like epidemiology, things that not every small health department that services only 25,000 or 50,000 individuals would have access to. And then we knew already about the varying levels of funding and that Indiana is 48th in the nation with regards to public health funding. But the extent to the degree of variation across the state was pretty eye-opening for us as a state. And most of that comes from local funding. And so how we need to, as we look at what other states are doing and compare ourselves, how we can potentially change that structure and that financial funding uh, has really been, I think, very eye-opening for a lot of the commission members. Dr. Monroe, you know, we've experienced over the last couple of years, some really major complex challenges. And it would be useful to hear from you how the commission may weigh in on things like political identity and partisanship. You know, can the commission contribute to a less politicized and nonpartisan conversation about public health and, you know, its future regarding Indiana citizens? Or is, or is it less political and less prone to deep partisan divisions? Yeah, so thanks for the question. And, you know, in my work, I, I work across the nation, and this has been a national problem. Uh, of course, it's varied state to state to, to some degree. What I am excited about with the commission is the fact that we are having, uh, as Dr. Box talked about with her and Dr. Kinley, going about the state, talking to all the different stakeholders. I think the commission is well positioned to be able to lift above the politics and let's really help the state focus on the future and the health. Um, one way to do that, and as I mentioned, we'll be looking, uh, you know, when you focus on on children's health, everybody cares about their children. And so that's one area that you can maybe get past Caring about your children is not a political issue. It's a universal it's, issue. It's a human issue. That's right. It's a human and personal issue. And we all care about our children. So taking on those kinds of issues to help diffuse any, any of the politics, I think, is a good approach to... Uh, all states, that all states, we, we need to move public health beyond the politics that have taken place uh, during the pandemic. Um, one thing I would mention that is we're doing nationally, and something I'd love to engage in in Indiana, is use, use of the arts and having the arts be a vehicle for educating and getting past the, you know, the political rhetoric and really getting into the importance of public health and, and the value of public health. So that, that's an area I'm, I'm particularly excited about. The other part of the commission is, is lifting all the voices. I mean, so you have an opportunity because we are listening. Everybody can contribute. They can, you know, add their, their thoughts about the commission's work. And that, I think, is a, a great equalizer and allows, allows folks to be part of this. Judy and Christina, we see over and over again, sort of as we got to the end of this year, Omicron came on and then the events early into the new year that people are really exhausted and, and prone to anger and frustration. And we shouldn't be perhaps surprised at that because of the stress and disappointment and the curveballs that the virus has thrown us. And of course, it's become more politicized in a way that we were kind of surprised. We sort of thought as we got into 2021, as vaccines were rolled out, as we got towards something more stable, that maybe the temperature would come down. Your commission really is an effort at, at engaging citizenry where they are at and being, being very matter of fact, nonpartisan. Let's hear what you think. And let's let's be constructive about this. Are you encountering anger and frustration and exhaustion in the way people approach it? 
So most certainly some of our comments are very focused on mask mandates, vaccine mandates, you know, how we are stripping people of their rights. And and in all honesty, um, I understand when when something like a pandemic happens and so many things are out of individuals' controls, the desire and the need and the want to be able to control something. And, and that is that is exactly what, what Hoosiers and a lot of people across the United States have tried to do. I think, though, that by showing our citizens what public health is really about and that public health has been here day in and day out for many, many years when we didn't have pandemics going on, and really that public health has been what has actually lengthened life expectancy in the United States and across the world in so many ways, showing the very good things that public health can do and does do. And what the public health problems of today, prevention of chronic disease, is really so, so important for. I I think that when you start to talk on that level with people, they start to see that and understand it. But you do need to give them the time to be able to vent and voice their their concerns and frustration. Isn't the problem that global health itself, which is really, of course, by definition, for the common good, It's now become so politicized that people can't see it as for the common good. And I I take it from what you all are saying, you're trying to really put it back into that common good box. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, we're in full agreement on that one. And, you know, what I would say, what's happening in Indiana, personally, I would love to see every state take Indiana's example. I think every state... Uh, as well as around the world, when you look at countries, everybody needs to take stock of of where their public health system is, whether it's workforce, finances, the the structure, is there a better design? All of that needs to be taken into account, but it's got to be for the common good. It's got to be for everybody's health and well-being, because that's really what this is about. So, you know, we've been talking a lot on this program about disinformation and misinformation, conspiracy theories across social media and the internet, and this decline in trust and confidence in science and public health. How do you rebuild that? And how will the commission contribute to rebuilding and and to this important debate with when you factor those things into account? So, you know, we have used a lot of different communication vehicles throughout this pandemic to try to be able to counter that very powerful influence that, you know, as you know, has been incredibly strong. I think one of our commission's goals is to make sure that, as I said, we are educating the public about the broader public health, about what that is and the good it has done in our history and the good it will do in our future. And I fully expect that our communication and how we train individuals to communicate will change based on what's happened during this pandemic. In the past, it, you know, your doctor, your healthcare provider said it, you believed it, right? And that has changed in healthcare as well as in public health in the last many years. I also want to say that it's really important that we are listening to individuals and find out what their concerns and their worries are about this. And then that when we do try to meet people on these individual issues, it has been very clear that we meet we need to meet them where they are and that we're meeting them with trusted partners. And that's why, especially in the latter half of the uh, pandemic, when we were working to get people vaccinated, it was so critical to be working with faith-based leaders and community leaders that were trusted within our individual communities across the, the state of Indiana. So it's, it's really a matter of gathering the people that ordinary um, you know, citizens, Indianans, Americans really trust. 
and helping them to be educated on the message that we want to get across because they trust them, they believe in them. And so we can be there at their side, but they really don't want to hear from the state health commissioner or even the governor on this right now. They want to hear from their local elected officials, public health officials, their health officer, their physicians, the hospital CEO, whoever it is in their communities and counties that they trust. Those people all seem ready and willing and have been speaking up. Is there something that we can do, you know, at the state level that you're doing that we could do at the national level that brings these people to the forefront? I mean, it's understandable given the political climate that, you know, certain government officials don't have the kind of trust that they might have had a decade ago. But people tend to trust their doctor. How do we bring those people to the forefront? So the way we have done that is to do town halls with local pediatricians and primary care physicians, the local health officer, who has oftentimes been the family doctor for many, many of the individuals within the community, to have them do actually media campaigns for us. I'm sure, Judy, you've seen this done nationally, and I, and I think that we need to do more of that. But that's part of the reason our healthcare workforce and our public health workforce is so exhausted right now, because they feel like they're beating their head against the wall, trying to bring the right academic scientific message out there, and um, they're not being heard. Christina, one of the topics, this communications topic, we brought forward in a number, across a number of podcast episodes with Mike Osterholm most recently, Ashish Jha, Monica Gandhi, Lena Wynn. And we talked to them about the fact that in the course of this pandemic, many people who are public health professionals who were not necessarily habituated to getting in front of a camera or a microphone and engaging the public are suddenly thrust forward constantly and trying to ask, okay, what works and what doesn't work? Because they're pushed into an environment that's supercharged and full of bad, bad information. And some have said, look, we... This, this, this is the formula that works. These are the kind of things. You have to be humble. You have to be straightforward. You have to speak the truth. You have to tell people when you don't know something and why. What have you discovered as the rules of effective engagement with the public, Christina? So for me, I, I think it's about being transparent and being honest in everything and, and, and admitting to what we don't know, admitting to, you know, the, one of the hardest parts of this pandemic is individuals seeing recommendations change. What they don't understand is their past health recommendations have been built on years and years of research and evidence-based information for treatment for a particular problem. Now, this was unfolding on a day-by-day, hour-by-hour basis. So how you message that change has become, you know, very, very critical in acknowledging people's frustration over the change that has occurred in that messaging has also been very critical. And I think that the most important thing is to admit, as you say, what you don't know, what we're learning and, and how we've learned that information. And to stay focused on what you do know is working and is critical, like vaccines and and masking to try to prevent the spread of this infection. Judy, your thoughts on this? You must be having conversations across this whole country around this phenomenon. Well, we are. Actually, the CDC Foundation, along with other partners, we formed a public health communications collaborative to help the health departments for this very reason, to try to take this, this ever-evolving and changing landscape of, of 
information and to package it to help the health officers to have ready, accessible uh, information and webinars to help teach them. I think you're starting to hit on a, an area also where we need uh, when we look at future workforce for public health, where we're learning in today's world of, of social media, we need new skills also to help counter misinformation and, and so forth. And the other thing I would add to this is that public health needs the help from other sectors. And I would particularly call out businesses. Businesses are trusted as well. You've got your physicians are trusted, but a lot of polls show that the businesses and who, who you work for carries a lot of weight. And so when, when business aligns with the public health messaging, the leaders in businesses, that can really help uh, your health department or your public health officials go a long way. You know, I've been saying for a while that we need both at the national level and at the states and local levels, we need communicators who are above all of this, communicators who understand how to use TikTok, how to use Twitter, how to use Instagram, and to really reach people where they are, as opposed to, you know, preaching from a podium. And so it sounds like that's something you guys are really onto. And I, I'm, I'm excited. And please let me know how I can help. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I will tell you, I mean, that's a hot topic at the CDC Foundation right now because we help support uh, CDC and we help support the health departments. And, you know, we've been hiring younger staff to be able to help us with the TikTok and, and all these different things because that's many of us obviously have not been necessarily users of those those forms of communication. And that's exactly what we need to do. I, I've been trying so. to get Steve on TikTok for, you know, months now. And it's just, <laughs> it, does, it hasn't taken yet. Dr. Box, can we turn to one of the really painful moments of this pandemic, which is that public health authorities, both local and state, are, have come under a siege. They've come under assault. Their lives have been made very, very uncomfortable. They've been threatened. Their statutory authorities in many places have been, have been hemmed in. And we're seeing a lot of resignations, a lot of burnout and erosion of capacity. And this comes on top of a situation pre-COVID where the public health, the 3,300, whatever it is, jurisdictions around across the country, were already under-resourced and understaffed. So there's a certain threat that we're going to get to the other side of this pandemic and maybe get into something that is a more managed endemic situation, but with depleted resources. Is this something that the commission is going to spotlight and talk about and try to bring forward some remedies? Absolutely. This is exactly one of the reasons that our public health workforce and our just healthcare workforce in general was one of our six major focuses that we had. And quite honestly, the one that we started with, our IU School of Medicine, Bowen uh, Research on Policy and Research for Workforce actually led the workforce part of this. And it is very clear that we had significant shortages beforehand, especially with 49 of Indiana's counties being rural, significant shortages there. But throughout this pandemic, we have lost significant amounts of not just public health care workforce, but healthcare workforce in general. So we really do understand the need to be able to support that pipeline. And we have to get our younger, junior high, high school, like I used to take individuals to surgery with me and on rounds with me just to give kids a feel for what healthcare is and how exciting that is and how much it gives back to you as an individual when you can serve other Hoosiers across our state. So it's been really important that 
that we develop that pipeline, that we support tuition reimbursement, that we support loan forgiveness, that we recruit our young, excited and engaged youth uh, to be a part of this workforce. And we need to continue to look outside at other workforces like our National Guard and our Bowen Center for um, Healthcare Reserve workforce that we use throughout this pandemic and to keep that workforce up for situations just like this. And how can we partner and continue to memorialize those partnerships that have been developed with our local healthcare workers, with our local hospital systems and our local public health so that we can all be a part of engaging in healthcare for our communities together. Data systems across the country in public health have been very fragmented and antiquated. This is something we hear over and over and over again. And I think it's something you've already mentioned here as a, as a, as a challenge. How might the commission that you're running strengthen data and surveillance capacities in Indiana? Indiana's been a leader with the Regan Street Institute and the Indiana Health Information Exchange that dates way back um, and one of the areas for the commission, as we've looked at this, the building on the strengths of Indiana. The problem is that that, that infrastructure that has been built doesn't reach all the local health departments. That's, that's the problem. So it's expanding out and equalizing across the state the, the capacity for having the data collection as well as the, you need the uh, workforce then to be able to turn that data into knowledge that then moves into public health action. Christina? Yeah, and I would add to what Judy said, and that is that we gave counties back their data or local municipalities, and we would hear back, we don't understand what this is saying to us. So the concept of taking that data analysis and digesting it for our communities so that our elected officials, our hospital systems, our healthcare providers, our not-for-profit organizations can all look at that data and understand what needs to be addressed and then see a change when that change occurs is really critical. And I would go even further in that we need to make sure all of our local health departments are connected and it's a secure connection for all of this data exchange. But also, we would really like to see our long-term care facilities joined in on that, that we would like to see individuals, our hospitals, everything connected so that an individual seamlessly goes from one area to the next and everyone has access to their data and, and uh, their support there. You know, early in the, in the pandemic, we talked with Deborah Burks and we spoke with her after she had departed the administration at the transition. And we talked a lot about her journeys around the country where she went out and visited, I think 44 states and she was on the road for seven months. She and one other partner in this exercise and it was quite illuminating to hear the the difficulties around the data collection and how complicated and difficult this this is and has been. Do you believe that the private sector and private sector partnerships are going to play a big role in modernizing the information sector? Absolutely. I mean, we have used consulting services, Regan Shreve Institute, um, our schools of public health, businesses to collect data and to make sure that we can match that data to understand even the demographics, which early on were not being given to us uh, with regards to testing and people that were getting vaccinated. So I think 
everyone has a role to play in that. I think that we at the governmental level should definitely look to our private sector, who is far more advanced, I would say, in their data systems and their analysis and and really let them lead us. And we already at the state of Indiana have been working with our external partners with money that we received through a CDC grant to bring all this together in a plan uh, for data and analytics and infrastructure across the state of Indiana. I would just add, you know, HHS and uh, CDC are very involved in this. There's a whole data modernization initiative underway that, that's been funded by government, uh, but they acknowledge they need the private sector. I mean, there's no doubt that private sector uh, needs to play a big role in, in this rollout and using today's tools. I mean, we have, you know, we have technology today that we didn't have 10 years ago. We have the apps on our iPhones. Uh, so this opportunity to harness uh, data to turn this into public health action is is amazing, but it's going to take uh, a coordinated effort. One last question, which is around stockpiles. You know, in the midst of the worst of the crises around stockpiles, there was a lot of confusion around the breakdown of responsibility between the national stockpile and what happens at the state level. How is that issue getting debated out within your commission? So that will come more with our emergency preparedness, which will be our March discussion that we're having. But we definitely feel very strongly as a state and understand that the federal level stockpile cannot be the sole source of a stockpile in another pandemic like this. And so we at the state level will develop our own stockpile that we work with our hospital systems to train, change that stockpile in and out so that we don't get all personal protective equipment that has already expired. I know that there are large groups and companies going around the United States offering to be that source for different states, but we will and and will be setting out you know an opportunity for private industry to answer that call for us so that we can have a stockpile here in the in the state because that was incredibly frustrating to not have nasopharyngeal q-tips to do testing and to not have what we needed to inject people as far as needles go and other things thank you over to andrew Dr. Box, Dr. Monroe, we like to close every podcast conversation with the question, what gives each of you the greatest hope and optimism in looking into the future? So for me, I can start, Judy, if you want. The, the engagement and the excitement that we're seeing around this public health commission every single day with the organizations that we're reaching out to and talking about the public health commission and engaging them for their input and everyone saying, what can we do to help? When do we need to be there? What do you need from us? Has been absolutely incredible. And I think that when I look back at Indiana's history, whenever we set our mind to solving an issue, whether that is workforce, economic development, restructuring our K through 12, the state has been incredibly successful. And I believe with our governor's support and our our legislators' hard work and their expertise that there is nothing in the state of Indiana that we cannot accomplish for the good of our state. And we, we are led by incredible individuals in Dr. Judy Monroe and Senator Kenley and Congresswoman Brooks. I share the excitement about Indiana uh, for certain, and, and it has been inspiring to see the engagement and the conversation that's taking place. On a national level, I, I'm excited as well. We've been hosting a series of national summits. We call them our Lights, Camera, Action uh, National Summits on the Future of Public Health. We've conducted two of them so far, actually in uh, 
February, on February 23rd, we will be focusing on public health law and finance, and we'll be taking on some of those topics uh, like public health authority. But what's been exciting is the national conversation and the engagement. People have been showing up in the thousands to have these conversations. Uh, folks want to want to make a difference, and it's it's multiple sectors. It's not just public health, but I, I think there's a lot of support there. We just need to set the table to have these conversations uh, like Indiana has done. Dr. Christina Box, Dr. Judy Monroe, it has been such a pleasure and very illuminating to have both of you here today. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having us. Thank you. You're, you're doing quite a service to the nation in this commission. I hope you realize that. We wish you all the very best in this effort, and we really look forward to seeing the fruits of it. Thank you for spending time with us today. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. Coronavirus Crisis Update is produced by Liz Pulver. You can find our full catalog of podcasts, including Pandemic Planet and AIDS Existential Moment, on our homepage at csis.org slash podcasts.